This is a Vault Studios production. I'm Reed Redmond. I'm Spencer Brudig. I'm Will Johnson. This show contains graphic material and is meant for mature audiences. This week on True Crime Chronicles. Was it, bro, what are you doing? Or, bro, what are you doing? Yeah, just like that. Was it, he bro, sounded yeah. pissed? Yeah. They're unconscious, ma'am! Oh, okay, you said they're unconscious? Yes! And he said no. With that mode of method of killing, we have never seen anything like that. Johnny Clark's phone was blowing up throughout the day on Sunday, January 30th, 2011. Well, we do know looking at phone records that he received 51 phone calls that day. That was not unusual. He got a lot of phone calls. He made a lot of phone calls. At the time, Johnny was at a crossroads in life. He was young, just turned 21 the previous April. And although he'd had a tough few years, Ryan Duggar, lead investigator for WTOL News in Toledo, Ohio, says that he was trying to turn things around. He had previously been in trouble. He had served some time in prison. He got involved with a bad crowd, and at one point he had gone around with a couple friends, and they had held up a bunch of, or at least two to three different people on the street, and he ended up serving about, uh, I believe it was about six months in prison. But, I mean, he was a model prisoner, uh, he, he got out a little early. He got off probation even a little early. After he'd gotten out, Johnny and his girlfriend Lisa Straub had written down a list of goals, which Johnny kept hidden under his mattress. Among them, to stop using drugs of any kind, to save up some money, and the big one for Johnny, to go to barber school. He had dreams. I mean, he had dreams of going to barber school and he would cut all of his friends' hair. And, and many of them later said that, you know, they wouldn't let anybody touch their hair other than Johnny. And so he was really good at that. And he was just a guy, he had, he had a lot of friends. He had a he had a big laugh, he had a big smile, a good look, a good looking guy. And he, uh, as far as I can tell, I mean, he was very well liked. He's one of the most, you know, big-hearted people you would ever meet. Like I said, you, if you're hanging around Johnny, there was guaranteed to be a smile on your face. This brings us back to that Sunday in January of 2011, when Johnny's phone is blowing up with calls and text messages. We know that he was calling his friend Zach Burkett uh, many, many times throughout the day. Zach Burkett would later testify that Johnny was looking to score some painkillers, Percocets, for later that evening. After getting off the phone, Johnny would go over to a friend's house to watch the NFL Pro Bowl, with plans to meet up with his girlfriend Lisa from there. The Pro Bowl started that night at about 7 o'clock, and you know, just looking into it, it, it ended about 10.45, but he was over there from about 7.30 to 9.30. I know that his mom called him at about 8 p.m., and he jokingly said, yes, mom, I'm, I'm still alive. You don't need to keep checking up on me. And at that point, his girlfriend, Lisa Straub, she was getting off work at 10 p.m. And Johnny, as far as we know, went and picked her up at 10 p.m. and returned to Lisa's parents' house in Holland, Ohio. Lisa was 20 at the time, one year younger than Johnny. And like her boyfriend, she was popular, well-liked. She was very uh, bubbly, very popular. She had a big smile. She had a big laugh. She would make friends. 
I mean, they just like, it's just one of those people that you enjoyed being around. Lisa was an extremely loyal friend to me. She was the most genuine person I feel like I've ever met in my life. She was funny, loving, very down to earth. She's just, you know, was very likable, very friendly, kind of like the life of the party, if you will. Just so easy to get along with. At about 10 p.m. on this Sunday night, Johnny picked up Lisa from her job at TGI Fridays, and the two went back to Lisa's parents' home in Holland, Ohio, an affluent suburb of Toledo. Lisa's parents were out of town on a 25-year anniversary cruise, so Johnny and Lisa were planning to invite a few friends over to hang out and shoot some pool. Among them, Tiffany Williams and Zach Burkett. And we know from looking at the phone records that Johnny got a phone call from his friend Rusty at 1041, and he told them, according to uh, Johnny's mom, he told him that he was waiting for Anthony Watson to show up. And then at some point after that call ended, he clicked over and uh, Tiffany Williams was on the other line. This was at 1041 p.m. And... Tiffany later told police that Johnny didn't even say hello. Um, She could just hear him kind of yelling in the background, you know, hey, bro, what are you doing? And then, hey, who the hell are you? And, And then he said that three different times, according to Tiffany. And at one point he said, hey, Tiff, I'm gonna call you back. And he hung up. Tiffany Williams would later recount that call to police. I want to go over that conversation again in okay, detail. that's fine. All right. You call Johnny on the phone. Mm-hmm. How many times did it ring, you think? Remember? Um, once or twice. Okay, he one to two right rings. Up. Picked it right up. Mm-hmm. You know it was Johnny. Yes. How long of a pause before he said anything? He didn't say hello. All right, so he never said anything. Never said hello. So... All right, so you're on the phone. Mm-hmm. How long before you hear anything on the phone? Did you, what did you? Like, as soon as he picked it up, he didn't say hello to me, but he was like, bro, what are you doing? All right, I want to get this down again. Bro, what are you doing? Okay. Okay, and he said that approximately three times. Okay. Then the All right, next- let him, give me his voice. Was it, bro, what are you doing? Or, bro, what are you doing? Yeah, just like that. Was, he bro, sounded yeah. pissed? Yeah. Did he sound scared? No. Not he just scared. sounded pissed? Just pissed, yeah. All right, so you hear, you hear, bro, what are you doing three times? Johnny sounds pissed. Mm-hmm. All right, then what he say? Then the next thing he said was, who the hell are you? How many times? Um, Once. And then that's when I heard the other person in the background, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. So you overheard a voice in the background. A guy voice. You're sure it was a guy? I'm positive it was a guy. Have you ever heard it before? No. Well, I really couldn't tell, you know what I mean, right. but... Okay. All right, so then what? Then he asked again, bro, what are you doing? After he said, who are you? After the three times he said it yeah, here, he said he it said, again. Yeah, and that's when this guy was talking, so that's why I couldn't hear him, is because Johnny was saying... Um, bro, what are you doing once again? Again, Tiffany says Johnny sounded pissed, but not scared. Did he sound like he was out of breath? No. Did he sound like he was scared or nervous? No. Did he sound like he knew them people? 
Mm -hmm. That's why I said I think that whoever did it, he knew because, you know, if you knew Johnny... How did he, that, how did he end the conversation with you? Tiff, I'm going to call you back. Tiffany says she tried calling him 15 or 16 times after that, but he never picked up. No, I was not getting no response because right after I heard that, I called Lisa's phone and there was no pickup. And then I called her a couple more times, no answer. So I texted her like, are you okay? And she didn't answer. Then I kept calling Johnny's phone. Zach said he was doing the same also. And they wasn't picking up. So that's when I started calling, you know, his best friend to see if he would answer to his best friend. And he was just ignoring us because he didn't want to share pills or, you know what I mean? That's what I thought all it was. Are he you? was like, I'm going to call you back. A couple hours later, around 12.30 a.m., when there was still no word from Johnny or Lisa, she and Zach Burkett would decide to head over to the house with a couple stops along the way. So you're, you say, I'm going to drive out there. What time do you leave Zach's house? Um, 12, right after I pulled in there and went upstairs and got Zach, we left. All right, and then we know that at quarter after or 20 after, you stopped got gas. No, well, right after I left Zach, so 12 o'clock... I say about, we'll say 12.05, 12.10-ish, we pulled out of there. I went straight to the gas station and got gas. Okay. Then from there, from getting gas. All right, hold on a second. Okay. Then from getting gas, then we went and got pills. Zach pumped the gas, you said? Yes. Okay. So then you go to, where did you say, Fearing? Fearing at the corner store. It's called Corner Store. It's the name of the store. Do you make a phone call in between leaving the gas station and going to the corner store to meet whoever to get pills? When did you set that up to get the pills? Zach did that as we were getting gas. Who did he call? Somebody that works there or somebody that lives no, by there? No, somebody who lives by there. All right. So Zach calls for pills? Yes. Okay. Then from the pills, I drove straight out there. What time do you think you were there? Um, I say about 1220 right there. Then you go to Johnny and Lisa's. Because it's right down the street, so yeah. Yep, then I went to Johnny and Lisa's house. She knocked on the front door, nobody answered, and she looked in the side windows, and she could see that there was a light on upstairs, maybe there was a, uh, a door open, but she didn't see any obvious signs of uh, the house being like, in a state of chaos. There wasn't like a lot of things turned over. Uh, I think she said at one point she could see that there was a TV on. So I had like looked in the, there's like a side window right here. I had looked in and didn't see nobody, so I just left. From there, Tiffany says she and Zach would drive around a bit, checking other places where they thought Johnny and Lisa might be hanging out. They'd also call some other friends one of whom eventually got a hold of Johnny's mother, Maite Clark. So at that point, Maite calls the sheriff's department and asks for a welfare check of her son. Hello? Toledo 911. Ma'am, mm -hmm. my heart is beating out of my chest. I just got a call from one of my son's friends. Okay. Her phone number, I have it right here. She just picked my husband up too. My son and his girlfriend live out at Lawn Acre Lane. Mm -hmm. I believe that's Holland. This girl says she was on the phone with my son and his girlfriend, and he was supposed to go pick her up. He was telling her he was going out the door. And all she heard was the phone drop and heard my son saying in the background, who are you? 
what do you want? What are you doing here? And she said she just drove by the house, and the house looks ransacked. All the lights are on. My son's not answering, and neither is the girlfriend. Maite gives the address of the Straub home on Long Acre Lane in Holland, as well as a few other details before she's asked again about the phone call between Johnny and Tiffany. Okay, what did, what did your son tell her? My son was like, hey, Tiff, we're on our way out the door. We're coming to get you. And then all she hears is the phone drop and my son Johnny saying, who are you? What do you want? What are you doing here? Who are you? And no more, no more answers. That's all she hears. And then she says that she starts getting worried because neither of them are answering the phone. And she goes out there by the house and she sees all the lights are on and the cabinets look ransacked. Okay, but you don't have any idea where your son's at? He was there at the house with his girlfriend. That's where they're house-sitting for her parents. Okay, but, but she doesn't. he wasn't there when she went over there? No, no. She rang the doorbell and nobody came to the door, nothing. Oh, my God, ma'am, I'm so afraid something happened bad. Okay. Oh, my God. So at 1.25 in the morning, the sheriffs show up to the Longacre Avenue home of Lisa's parents. Uh, They walk around the home. They can see that a TV is on. There were five, there's five inches of snow that had fallen the previous night. And there were no obvious footprints around the house that raised any sort of concern. All the doors were secure. There was no obvious signs of disruption with the house. They too looked in the house and couldn't see any type of disorder other than, you know, just the TV being being on. So at that point, the, the deputy who had came out to the scene, he left. Meanwhile, Tiffany and Zach had picked up Johnny's father, John Sr. And there's contradictory stories at this point, but while the deputy was there, Tiffany drove by with Zach and John Sr. And Tiffany said, John said, don't stop. I've got warrants. I don't want to talk to the police. And John says, Tiffany had warrants and she didn't want to stop. So at that point, they just kind of uh, drove past. They waited until the deputy had gone. And then Tiffany, Zach, and John went back to the house. At 2.27 a.m., Maite Clark calls 911 again. Listen, ma'am, I am a concerned mother. My son was in Long Acre Lane with his girlfriend, house-sitting. Lisa Straub lives there because her parents went to Puerto Rico two days ago. I get a phone call about a half an hour ago from his friend, Sharita, that some girl named Tiffany called her saying that Johnny and Lisa were supposed to pick her up at 11 o'clock, and she was on the phone with Johnny, my son, when he was walking out of his house, his girlfriend's house with his girlfriend to come get her, and supposedly she heard a guy in the background screaming at my son and my son saying, what do you want, who are you, get away from us, and what have you. Okay, four cop cars were already out at this residence. They're not there, and her car is in the driveway. I want to know where my son's at. Okay. I want to know where my son and his girlfriend are at. I want to know if they got abducted by whoever tried to assault them and rob them. And it's pretty funny that this girl named yeah. Tiffany, which is there right now by the residence, waits two hours to call somebody and report this. Okay. Well, like I said, we were out there. There was nothing going on there. Okay. Where is my son and his girlfriend and her purse in the driveway? 
How would I know that, ma'am? I need to report my son missing. Okay. Um, where are you at? I'm coming up to the residence right now. Well, which which residence? Uh, Lisa's house. At this point, she believed that Tiffany was behind setting up Johnny. For whatever reason, she didn't trust her. She never had a good feeling about her. There had been some run-ins between her and Tiffany at some point uh, previously. She just didn't like her character. And she thought something was wrong with her son and that Tiffany had something behind, something to do with it. So as she called the sheriff's department, um, she was she was also arriving at the house and they blocked in Tiffany's car. And Maite put Tiffany on the phone with the 911 dispatcher. Here, you tell them what you I will. Hello. Okay, what's what's going on? Okay, um, my friend Johnny and Lisa, they were supposed to come pick me up, me and um, my friend from our house, and this was like 11 o'clock, and um, he, um, I was on the phone with his girlfriend Lisa, and then he hung up, and um, we all hung up, he said they were on their way, and then he... I called Johnny right back because I was going to tell him that um, I was going to run to the store and then I was I would meet them at the house. Well, um, he was yelling at somebody like, um, "I'm on." He goes, "He goes, bro, who who are you?" And then um, I, I called. He called him right back and he didn't answer. So I text my friend Lisa's phone and I was like. Um, where are you? Are you guys okay? And they have not answered to me or nothing. They have not answered the phone. And I've been calling and calling and calling. The call comes to an end when Tiffany says officers are back on the scene. Again, the officers look around, but end up telling everyone gathered there, Maite, Tiffany, Zach, and John Sr., that they don't have probable cause to enter the residence. But John Clark Sr. told me that, you know, as one deputy was leaving, he said... You know, as a officer, I can't tell you to go in that house. But as a parent, after you see me leave, I would go into that house, break down a door and go find out what's going on. Another family member arrives at the house and at around 3.30 in the morning, she and John Sr. try to look in the windows around back. And John said that he and Maite's cousin went around to the back of the house they were able to see through the blind. And again, this is a point of contention, a point of confusion about the stories that earlier they said they tried to look in the house and they couldn't see through the blinds. But the story at this point, at, at 3.30, John said he and Maite's cousin went around to the back of the house. The cousin was actually able to see through the blinds and she was able to see a busted cell phone on the floor and she could see Johnny lying on the floor. John comes running around the house, screaming, they're in there, they're in there, he's lying on the floor, something's wrong, call 911. You need to get the police out to Long Acre Lane. My son is in the basement tied up of this house. I just saw him through the window. I, the police now here earlier and did absolutely nothing. Both cell phones are on the ground and we can see the people. Him and his girlfriend are tied up in the basement. Okay, all right, we'll get them out there. Get them 
cops out here. I told them earlier. Hey, ma'am, you need to calm down. We'll get them out there. But yelling at me is unconscious. They're unconscious, ma'am. Okay. You said they're unconscious? Yes. Okay. All right. Cell phones on their body. With cell phones on their body. He's unclothed. He only has pants on. Okay. And the hands are tied. Okay. All right. We'll get them out there, ma'am. Oh, my God. Okay. I need you to calm down. We'll get them out there, okay? Oh, my God. Please hurry. All right. We will. Long Acre. Okay. I have the Long Acre Lane. I have the address. We'll get them out there. Goodbye. Tiffany Williams also places a call to 911. Lucas County, 911. Oh, my God. Uh, we just called the police here. On Long Acre? Uh, yes, but we need a rescue squad. He's got a bag over his head. Okay. Oh, we can just see through the window, please. We've got them on their way already, okay? okay. I'm sorry. That's all right. Stay on the line. I'm going to transfer oh everybody God. Okay? Okay. At this point, John Sr. decides he's not going to wait for police to arrive. I was just hoping that I would get in there, number one, save them, and catch them all in there so I could just have some, my own justice, I guess. He goes to the front door, he kicks in the front door, and goes into the house, and on the kitchen floor, he finds Johnny and Lisa lying on the kitchen floor. They have plastic bags duct taped around their faces, also black duct tape wrapped tight, tightly around their neck. Uh, Johnny's hands are tied behind his back with the tape. His ankles are taped and Lisa's hands are taped behind her back. He rips the plastic bags off of both of them, says he was prepared to do CPR, but they were cold and stiff and he knew there was no point. And he said he walked to the front of the house uh, and basically lost his mind. The first deputy to arrive at the Straub family home on Long Acre Lane would pull up to find John Sr. screaming out front. And what he was screaming was, I told you, I told you they were in there, I told you. But he also said something that was very interesting. He told the deputy that the suspects you're looking for are in the basement. And that deputy waited for another uh, deputy to arrive, and they actually went into the basement and they secured it. There, There was no one down there, but that was something that was very interesting, and it hasn't been explained. There was no sign of anyone inside the home, just the two bodies of Johnny Clark and Lisa Straub on the kitchen floor. Lisa's body was found facing east, her hands duct tape behind her back. Johnny was facing west, his hands and his feet bound with duct tape. The plastic bags John Sr. had ripped off their heads had also been secured with black duct tape. It wasn't just a gruesome crime scene. It was also a highly unusual crime scene. First off, I had asked the uh, sheriff detective if he had ever seen this mode of killing. I mean, typically in Toledo, you're seeing a lot of shootings, you're seeing stabbings, uh, blunt force injuries. Maybe someone hits someone in the head with a, you know, a, a heavy object or something. But you don't see something like this where a bag is taped over your head. And I asked the lead detective, have you ever encountered a case like this? And he said, no, with that mode of 
method of killing. We have never seen anything like that. And there was a uh, local newspaper that time. They had reached out to a uh, criminologist who did some sort of research into uh, the Toledo area criminal history. And he said he went back to 1900 and had never seen a murder where the victim or victims were killed with plastic bags wrapped around their their heads. So it, it just isn't something that you would ever see in this area. And, and the coroner said they could have died from the bags being over their face or the, or the duct tape was actually wrapped so tightly around their neck that that may also have strangled them. Johnny and Lisa's clothes were pushed down in a way that investigators believe might suggest they were dragged across the floor, placed in the spot where they were found. The rest of the home would provide some additional evidence as to what exactly had occurred there. Knives were sitting out on the kitchen counter, and there was a trail of damage that appeared to start at the door leading from the garage into the home. So investigators have speculated that um, possibly Johnny encountered you know, the attackers out in the garage. He was supposed to be leaving to uh, go pick up Tiffany and Zach. And there is some evidence that they may have been out in the garage, that he saw somebody and that they ran back into the house and he tried to barricade the door, but he was overpowered by, you know, multiple attackers. From there, the trail of damage led upstairs to Lisa's bedroom. And then in Lisa's bedroom upstairs, there was damage also to that door, uh, which indicated that she had locked herself in her room. I mean, we're, we're assuming it's Lisa. We don't know. It, it could have been Johnny, for all we know. But it was Lisa's room, and there was damage to that door. And it looked like somebody had broken the lock to get into the person that was in that door. And the master bedroom, the the mattress was off the foundation. Um, some of the dressers, things were pulled out of the dressers. One of the dressers was flipped over, and there was kind of a crawl space behind it leading into the attic. And that area was opened up. So there was a, a planter that was knocked over in the living room. There was a smashed cell phone. I believe it was Johnny's cell phone. Uh, there was a Johnny's wallet was actually found on his stomach. There was no money inside it, but it was found on his stomach. Uh, Johnny had a really nice necklace that he always wore, and that was nowhere to be found. Um, so we believe that was stolen. His shoes, for whatever reason, they were barefoot, and his shoes, they were not able to find those either. Uh, but so there's a lot of disruption in the kitchen area, the living room, and then the two bedrooms upstairs. But nowhere else in the house was there any obvious sign of disturbance. Notably absent from such a chaotic, violent scene was any blood evidence. Uh, talked to multiple lawyers involved in this case, and they said the one thing that struck them about this crime scene is that it was so clean. There wasn't blood. Now, when they took the bag off Lisa's head, there was uh, a sign of a traumatic injury to the side of her head and a little bit of blood, but there was no blood or, or footprints or anything obvious that jumped out to investigators. But in the middle of such a clean crime scene, 
there was a piece of potential DNA evidence investigators hoped might lead them to a suspect. So there was a cigarette found in a corner. It was in the the door leading to the garage. It was on the inside of the house, just in a corner. A deputy later reported that he thought it was interesting because there wasn't any type of smell of uh, smoke in the house. For True Crime Chronicles, I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redman and Spencer Brudig. Uh, Reed, I know we'll listen to the rest of this case next week in part two uh, of our story here about this terrible case in Ohio. But let me ask off the top, any discussion of motive early on in the investigation? Yeah, there's been a lot of discussion of motive. uh, But one of the frustrating things is that, you know, there really isn't a clear motive. At first glance, it seems like maybe this was a robbery gone wrong. People bashed in the front door. They kind of went through the the house, uh, rifling through drawers, but um, may, maybe looking for something. One of the mattresses in a bedroom was pulled up. The attic space was open. Different closets had appeared to have been gone through. But investigators say that a lot of stuff was left behind. There was jewelry left behind. There were some envelopes with Iraqi currency in them, the equivalent of around a few thousand US dollars that were left behind. So the question then is, you know, if this was a robbery, what were they looking for? One theory there is that Johnny might have told people that there was a safe in the house that had something like $100,000 in it. That's something that multiple people later told detectives they heard. The Straub parents would testify later on that there wasn't any money in the house. Uh, nothing nothing like $100,000, just like 40 bucks they left behind for Johnny and Lisa to order pizza. Uh, so, so was... Johnny actually telling people about this safe? Did did someone hear about that and, and try to go look for it? We just, we don't really know. So Reed, as far as evidence goes, this was a pretty clean crime scene, right? Except for the cigarette, which was mentioned. But there was something else that was found after investigators went through. Is that right? Yeah, there's one other really, really interesting detail that, you know, I still don't really know what to make of, but there was a picture of Johnny and Lisa that was found in the home sunroom actually after investigators had had finished going through the house and it was torn in half. And, you know, if you're looking at this and you're saying this was a robbery gone really, really wrong, I mean, that's just a weirdly like personal thing to have left there, this picture torn in half. It's really creepy. And, and yeah, I don't know what to make of it. So read this list of goals is mentioned in the episode and you list a, several of these goals that Johnny and Lisa had made before they were murdered. When was that list actually found? Yeah, so that was um, heartbreakingly discovered by Johnny's mother after he was killed. Um, She found it tucked under his mattress, and he clearly was a guy who had a lot of challenges in his last few years. But to to find this list of goals where you know he wanted to stop doing drugs, he wanted to go to barber school. It's it's heartbreaking to think of this mother finding that after her son's death. All right, Reed. Well, we'll come back next week with the the rest of this case and tell our listeners what what we know about what's happened. Uh, In the meantime, Spencer, if people want to learn more about True Crime Chronicles, they can go to Facebook. Absolutely, Will. Uh, We have a Facebook group called Inside the Crime Vault. It's got over 6,000 members. Uh, We would love to see you in that group talking this crime and others like it with a bunch of like-minded true crime fans. So hope to see you in there. All right. We'll be back next week with a new case and a new story for True Crime Chronicles. I'm Will Johnson, along with Reed Redman and Spencer Burdick.